When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I'm talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed worldwide, according to Indeed data. Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 million monthly unique visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and an extended reach through Glassdoor. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Hack It Out. Just go to Indeed.com slash Hack It Out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Hack It Out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast. Myself, Lou Stagner, and Greg Chalmers with us. And Greg should be with us today because we're going to do a short game edition. So how can an ordinary golfer, everyday golfer, improve their short game? So let's talk about short game as 50 yards and in. So think about that can be your putting, bunker playing, 50 yards and in, so pitches and chipping. What could you do to help you lower those scores and tighten up that short game? Greg, short game, something close to your heart. Your, your short game is something that you specialize in now a bit as a coach, I think you say, don't you? You, you love coaching short game. Yes. Yes, I do. Thanks, mate. Yes. Um, and I, I... you were also very skilled. That was one of your most skilled parts of your game, not that the other parts weren't, but it was something that you would probably say you excelled in, in your mind in short game. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, can, uh, I think, and I've been teaching a little bit now for the last sort of five, six weeks, and it's been really interesting to watch people um, – they don't do as much experimentation as I thought they would, um, like goofing okay, yeah. around with different different setups or different club moves, or they just kind of hope that it'll be okay. And I'm like, well, if this isn't working, why don't we um, move around a little bit and wait forward, wait back, see, you know, depending on what your tendencies are, move the club in a different fashion and just see what happens. Just goof around. I, I think part of it is too, they're not really, they don't see themselves. They don't video themselves very often and see what they look like. Uh, some mm-hmm. people I've t- taught already have been very surprised because they do watch TV and they know what players are meant to look like. Um, <laughs> and and they're, they're like surprised. They don't look like that. Um, and, and then, you know, they're just putting more, like oh, I've been trying to manage expectations of people I teach because some of them, like as an example, I did a putting clinic and they were asking me about distance control and speed control. And I said, well, how many putts do, before you hit, do you hit before you play? And they said, oh, three or four. I said, why don't you just go play and enjoy the day and don't expect you're going to roll some short, some long. You're not putting effort in and love into it. It's not going to be rewarded, you know. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, just just some good, sol- you know, get some good solid practice in of, you know, good contact and spend some time working on body motion. I've noticed a lot of people don't do much with um, just at home in front of a mirror. I did, a, I did some stuff today where I, I really didn't have much of a club in my hand. I was just practicing the motion and my shoulders, hands, arms moving together and a little foot of 40 yarders because they're goofy little shots. Um, the other thing is I say to people, if you don't like 50-yard shots, don't hit it there. 
I hate those shots. I try and avoid them, right? Long yeah. marker shots, avoid them, you know, recognize what's an execution mistake and what's actually a planning mistake. You might've had a bad plan. Um, that's kind of the stuff that, uh, you know, you can get into. Yeah, I like that. I mean, mucking around there, Lou, I'm sure, because I mean, Lou as well, you're massive into your putting. Putting's always been something that you've really enjoyed, isn't it, Lou? It in is, your yeah. game. And you've talked about it a lot. So I know you've even thought, I don't know if you've done it, about putting a putting green in your basement, basically, to really work on your putting and do some tests. I think it's something you've talked about. But the mucking about part that you mentioned there, Greg, is so key and such an interesting thing i think the everyday golfer listening to this pod can take away i i when i play with amateur golfers or i go out on the course with amateur golfers you know ranging from scratch handicaps up to 25 and beginners they where a pro or a more accomplished player is more willing to put the ball on a bare lie and see what happens. They're more willing to put themselves on the downslope of a bunker, plug it in a bunker, go to the thick rough, short side themselves and see if they can pull the silly shot off, those kind of things. I just think, and you would have been the same, Greg, and I probably reckon, Lou, you might have been the same, but we used to do that as kids for fun. We didn't even realise the practice we were doing. You you did it because what? why would you do it standard chips? Like, they're, they're not, we're quite skilled, so we, would, like, we can do them. I want to know if you put me on a bare lie over a green onto a downslope with two yards to work with, am I going to fin it into my mate's head or am I going to zip it the two foot? And then you you get that situation in a competition and you've got a bit of data to work on. So the mucking around bit there, Greg, I think is is fantastic. They're, they're reluctant. They feel like they students often feel like they need to do it right, don't they? Right. And I'm always amazed and I see it in pro-ams and I see it particularly bunker shots or, and little chips around the greens out of rough. Dude, open the face. Like, yeah, we're not playing for oil rigs today. Open the damn thing up and let's see what happens. Get that bounce moving <laughs> there instead of digging into this. It's just amazing. And even in practice, when there's no one around and you've got 50 yeah. balls there, mess around a little bit and see what happens. You might discover something that actually helps you hit good shots. That's yeah. what we do. We mess around and goof around with stuff to see if we can change paths. The other thing that needs to be learned by most amateurs is you control the club. You move it how you move it, not some coach telling you, hey, there'll be tips they can give you. But if, if it doesn't move how you want it, it's because you've put it there and moved it there. So that's yeah, a yeah. big lesson to learn for a lot of people, I think. We, yeah, I used to absolutely. do this game um, and played it uh, against somebody else. So it's, I'm curious to hear if you, if you like this, Greg, and Mark as well. Uh, but this is in, in your mucking around theory. So you'd, it'd be a head-to-head game and it'd be around the, the practice screen. And everyone would start the game with a 56 degree wedge. Um, sometimes we'd start it with a 60 and you would play. It, would, it was match play. You had to win the hole. And so you, someone first person up, Greg, you'd be up first, you'd pick a spot and we'd play from there. And the person that lost the hole, let's say we started with our 56 degree wedge. The person that lost the hole had to drop down to their gap wedge. If you lost yeah, like the next it. hole, you had to drop down to your pitching wedge. If you lost the next hole, you had to drop down to your nine, your eight, your seven. And we capped it at five iron. So if somebody ran off a string of however many in a row winning, you would be, you know, like Seve out there with a three iron trying to hit flop shots. Um, <laughs> and the other person would pick if they, if I, if you had your five iron and I had a 56 in my hand, you know, what kind of shot I'm going to pick. And so we would do that kind of game. And I would occasionally do that by myself where if I didn't get something up and down, uh, then I would have to, you know, move to a different club. 
Do you think that's a crazy idea or is that, I like is that it. fun? Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Uh, no, well, it's I craziness that makes it fun and brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Right, yeah. No, I love it. I, I think that idea and the concept of working with different clubs is it seems to be dying just a hair maybe with people they're, they're just they fall in love with a lob wedge it feels sexy to them when really it's not functional for a lot of the shots you have to hit you know fall in love with a lower score not the fact that that shot was really pretty one out of ten times um you know that's the kind of thing i'd like to see i used to do you know i was taught you know get two or three yards off the green and and hit every club in the bag chipping all the way up to three wood and you, and you be and you get to see when you run through the bag one shot at a time, you get to start to see on a thirty foot shot or a forty foot shot. You go, actually, the lob wedge is the hardest club to yeah. hit close consistently. Um, that's the kind of stuff you know. Competitive practice, like you said, Lou, is brilliant. Brilliant. So there's you stats on it. that basically with the lob wedge addiction. Um, I'm trying to pull them up now. I can't remember the exact numbers, um, but. Basically, when you look at how people are chipping around the green, so what ShotScope have um, data from obviously what clubs they're chipping from different distances, it was something ridiculous per se. Basically, the worse the handicap gets, the more they go for their most lofted shot for chipping, right. the most lofted right. club. And the lower handicappers had more of a spread from nine iron to their most lofted. So it was an interesting trend that they saw in their data that basically the worse the handicap got, they tended to go more beeline for the most lofted club to do everything where the lower the handicap got, you did see more of a spread. Now there's people listening to this and I've posted ideas of this and people go, well, I, I chip brilliantly with my lob wedge. These are, these are average ideas. So if you're an outlier, if you're someone who's off 25 and you chip brilliant right. with your lob wedge, Greg, me, Lou, best teachers in the world, whoever is never going to stop you chipping well. I've never no. met one good coach who watched someone chip really well and think I'm going to make them chip worse. Do you see what I mean? Like if you right. chip well, no, we no. call it wedge. Keep doing it. But it is a general pattern that I see in students. They just go for that. What are you going to do here? Lob wedge. Well, yeah. you've got 40 foot of green to work with. You've got a lie there with a lob wedge that we already know you can have a variation of two yards duff to a 50 yard fin. <laughs> like right. why would you not just run something that goes generally within a six yard gap um that, the, the thing is too mark a, you, a big one yeah if you take if you go five yards off the green and you put something i usually just put a box or a circle you know two or three a yard or two on the green where i want to land the ball and it, you know let's yeah. say it's five four foot by four foot right it's a pretty big box for our level you can land the ball in that and with all these different clubs hit at so many different distances. Like it's perfect. Yeah. And you just land in the same spot all the time. And the great thing that people don't think too much about, it seems with the lob wedge thing is that can react so many different ways versus a seven iron can only react one way. Right. Yeah. And you need to have that in your bag at some point, because even if you love the lob wedge, the person I would say to them, go play Pebble beach when it's soft and wet and try and hit your lob wedge. Like I'm going to, I'm going to put something like a five iron on the ground and it, I know that's going to release your soft and wet one's going to be plugging and stopping all over the place. Yeah, and there's yeah, times yeah, yeah. when that's good, but most of the time it's, it just makes it harder. 
you know because so having much more can go tools, wrong isn't it yeah right. it's having more tools to match the situation and i think that's why you see the lower handicap a trend towards using more spread of their loss they're, they're using a hammer a wrench a hacksaw and a couple of nails the, whatever the job is asked whatever they're trying to build score the build they pull out a more appropriate tool where the um average and again it's an average there we outlines but your average higher handicap is just pulling out a hammer to try and open a door or tap on a window oh i've smashed that yeah because you shouldn't be using the hammer for that job is kind of the idea isn't it um i'm going to come to you lou in a second because i want to ask you some stories about where people should practice their putting or get some answers but i've got some interesting numbers on bunker play bunker play is a massive one for amateurs where they do definitely fall short so an interesting some so i've got some up and down numbers so if we just go 10 to 20 yards, up and down, scratch handicap all up and down at an average of 57% of the time. So from 10 to 20 yards, okay? From a bunker, they will sand save it, so up and down it, 37% of the time. Now, I would say that's quite a realistic stat, 57 to 37. Now, if we jump up to, let's say, a 20 handicapper, they're up and down in it from the same distance, 10 to 20 yards, 30% of the time, okay? So not as much as a scratch handicapper, as you would imagine. Their bunker play, they're down to 16%. They're up and downing it. And then if you get a 25 handicapper, they're down to 12% out of the bunkers. They're up and down right. it. Now, they might not go in as many bunkers. They might not go. They might have two rounds where they don't go in a bunker. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be practicing them. That 12%, when I work with students, is some of the lowest hanging fruit in handicapped golfers I see is bunker place. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those lessons I can do that you just literally tick it off. Like it's, what are you doing in there? That's crazy. Just try this technique. Oh, you look, because when, when it comes to bunker play, you actually are talking with certain amateurs, getting it out. Like right. they're not getting yeah. it out every time. And you think, wow, like this is just free yeah. wins here because they've never practiced it and they never have lessons on it. It's one of those things people just never really work on. Bunker play for me is a, is a massive one. I would like to see your average golfer spend a fraction more time to be able to get in a bunker. Like Greg, I could reckon you could play, not play for a year. Okay. So I'm going to cancel you from playing golf for a year. Okay. I reckon mm -hmm. you would stand on the first tee. If we go out and play out after a year, and I would ask you, do you think you're going to hit this ball in play? You would go, I hope so, but I don't know. You like, you Correct. wouldn't really, yeah. like, oh, I might do, but I hadn't swung a club for a year. Like, I could snap hook it or cut it, but I might do. If I put you in a standard greenside bunk, haven't played for a year and said, are you going to get this out? You're going to say, yep. Yeah, <laughs> you're we'll not going to yeah. think you're not going to get it out because you've got that baseline to start with, if you like. You yeah. know, that's just, it's never so. going to fall back enough. The thing that I see too, Mark, is understand your equipment a little bit. Like if you don't know what bounce is, Google it and uh, right yeah. and understand the environments of where big lot of bounce is helpful and a little bounce is helpful. So don't walk into a bunker that looks like concrete and with 14 degrees of bounce and expect it to perform well. Right. And vice versa. You've got to, you know, if you bury your feet in the sand and you end up halfway down the you know, under the world, there's a lot of sand in there that four degrees of bounce is going to be really, really difficult depending on how shallow you are or action is like, you know, so there's a lot of people that don't even understand their own equipment sometimes and what will help them um, the most and make things a little easier. And like I said earlier, get in there, please open the face. I mean, I don't, I haven't even yeah. seen your action. And if you're an average golfer and I'm already telling you open the face up and just try it, see what happens because 
just standing there with a square face in the bunker rarely goes well for a lot of amateurs. <laughs> Greg, when you were, um, do you have multiple wedges that you keep in your rotation? Do you switch them out based on the track you're going to be on? And, and some might be a little firmer than others, different kind of sand. Do you, do you make those changes with your wedges? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, t- I take a, I have eight degrees bounce, which is sort of mid-level bounce. Um, and then I have 14 degrees for either Bermuda or really soft sand in the bunkers. I usually go off the, um, the bunker play and the thickness of the rough. I can make my eight degree work unless I've got Bermuda rough. And then I, pip, I kind of have to play that game a little bit. Like what if the bunkers don't have much sand in them and I've got 14 degrees of bounce? Well, I've got to play that game a little bit and figure out, well, what do I do this week? And quite often I err towards, I might, I might go a whole week and only hit it in six or eight bunkers. So I might yeah. just go, you know what? I'm going to miss a lot more greens in the rough. I think I'll just stick with my high, high bounce one and it's going to be really helpful out of this rough. Or I change, I stick with my eight degrees of bounce and I chip more with my 14 degree, 54 degree, less loft, more bounce and the next yeah. wedge down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I play that game a little bit with my equipment, but I travel every week with multiple bounce wedges and adjust to the conditions. If we have two inches of rain, I don't want to roll out there with a club that's going to dig into the ground too much. Right. Um, so that's the kind of thing I adjust as I go. I think that's important too for all golfers. What do most people do when they get new clubs? They have a putter and 13 other clubs, and that's all that they have. Those are the only tools that, that a lot of golfers have. And I think depending, uh, especially if you're someone that's playing multiple golf courses, that you could have different conditions at those courses. I think it's important to have more than just 14 clubs in your bag. Now, you can only bring 14 with you, but there's decisions to be made around which 14 wedges are part of the equation. You might have different wedges like Greg does for different conditions, but you know there's other clubs as well. Maybe you don't have a three-wood at a, at a certain course or a different hybrid or a longer iron. It really depends on the course, and, and so... One of the things that uh, I always uh, advise players to do is, is, you know, don't limit yourself to 14 clubs. That's all you can take with you when you're playing, but you need more to fit your bag appropriate to the course you're playing. You're absolutely, Lou, you're absolutely right. I even do on the other end, I'll take a three iron and a hybrid and I'll change out based on yeah. my three iron is what I can hit low. It's one of those, you know, it's kind of those muscle back ones. And yeah. I take that to Australia or a British open, or I throw a two iron in or something like that and ditch the hybrid totally. And the hybrid I use, if I, you know, map out some par fives that I might need that there. And then, um, so yeah, you adjust at both ends. I want to ask you about your short game. So when you're practicing short game, are you practicing putting the ball on the green and then walking up and finishing out a putt? Or are you just hitting chip after chip? Or is it just depend on on what you're up to that day? I'll do, I'll do like today. I did a short, I did a session uh, today, which was from, you know, all the way on the edge of the green, all the way out to, I think I hit about up to hundred yards. Wasn't a lot of balls. It was only like 50 balls, high quality. Like I'll give an example, you know, this is the other thing, clean the face of the club. So you get good feedback. So I cleaned the face yeah. 50 times. I hit 50 balls. Um, I had a mirror down checking alignment and then I'll go back tomorrow and I'll do that less. I might do that 30 balls and that'll be my block practice of technique. And I'm feeling my body movement, my hands, arms, shoulders moving together um i've mir- i check my but i practice everything i practice walking in getting set up square with a you know everything set up how i want it from my more like a station with a mirror and a limonade on the ground then i'll ditch all that tomorrow i'll do that after 30 balls and i'll just move around and one shot here what do i do i'll grab a buddy go and have a competition that's valuable i don't chip and putt out much because we just don't get many environments where um 
there's always a lot of people around. You know, you need, you need yeah, to have yeah. a place to yourself to do that. Yeah. Um, so, but I will have putting comps or chipping comps, but usually it's, it's because there's a lot of people around and you, you can't commandeer the, the place. I would not, yeah. uh, I would not want to go against you in a putting competition. So I'll just go on the record there. <laughs> Dollar a hole, man. Dollar a hole. We'll be fine. <laughs> no. um, so before we go to putting, Lou, I got a quick question for you, which I know the answer to, but I like to set you up first one. So I still get plenty of people, students that I constantly try to help say, so a common thread still of, I want to chip the ball. I want to keep it below the hole on this hole. You know, I'm chipping from 30 yards out, 20 yards out, and I want to keep the ball. You know, I don't want to get above the hole for the downhill putt here, those kind of ideas. Um, good strategy or bad strategy for your average golfer? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's a that's a bad strategy. Even for Greg, that's a bad strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you you want to get the ball as as close to the hole as you possibly can. Uh, you're going to increase how many shots it takes you to hole out if you move your target away from the hole like that. Now there are obviously situations if you are, you know, if you are short sighted and you have a sixty degree in your hand and you have to go over a bunker, the pins cut four from the edge it's running away from you. And in order to get the ball close to the hole, you have to land it in the fringe or in the rough. That's not a good idea um, to try and try. That's one of those where when you're in that situation, you just want to make sure for us amateurs, even, even for, you know, people like Greg's skill level, you want to make sure that your next shot's a, a putt. Um, so you want yeah. to make sure that you're on the green if it's an extremely hard, but you know, trying to leave an uphill putt intentionally, you're just moving your target farther away from the hole. Um, and because we have pretty big areas, we hit the ball into, even when we're chipping, uh, you're going to take more putts to, to, uh, to hole out. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's such an interesting one. So basically I've got data here from 10 to 20 yards. So pretty close to the green, um, a let's go your everyday golfer, let's say 15 handicap average distance left to the flag from 10 to 20 yards anyone want to guess what the average distance is in the audience uh, you could have a guess if you're listening so 10 to Lou, 20 yards 10 to 20 yards average distance left after a chip from 10 to 20 yards any lie so it'll be mixed for average what skill distance. level this is 15. a 15 handicapper uh, 15 handicap i'm going to i'm going to go with 24 three feet okay uh i've got it in yards yards all right so that would be seven uh, almost eight yards just shy 16 of 16 yards, yards. <laughs> 16, 16 yards oh, that's awesome. so how many paces is 16 yards it's Hang like on, is 15 that, or is that about as far paces? away as they were originally <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they got longer from the hole <laughs> Sorry. I have so it's, I have a one just like it's that. mental. Uh, Say yeah. that again. I have I have a, a quiz just like that. And this is uh this is for Greg. I'm gonna see how he does on this. Uh, he's hit this shot a million times. So typical PGA tour pro 20 yards in the rough, 
you have at least 10 yards of green to work with. So you're not short-sighted. It, it, it's at least 10 yards of green, 20 yards in the rough. You might have more than you might have more than 10 yards of green to work with, but you have at least 10 yards of green with. What percentage of shots will finish more than eight feet from the hole? From 20 yards? From 20 yards in the rough on the PGA tour. What percentage? 20 yards rough. Short-sighted, did you say? No, you, uh, have, you got no. you got plenty of green. Plenty, plenty of green. green yards. Well, it's obviously since you've asked me that question, it's obvious further than eight feet away. Is that what you're saying? What percentage finish further what away? Percentage finish finish further than eight feet away. Correct. So from that distance, I would have thought eight feet and in's a pretty good shot. So let's say I hit ten. If I got three or four, so I'm going to say sixty-five percent, seventy percent. Outside, outside of eight feet. Yeah, outside of eight feet. That's interesting, Mark. What's your guess? Are you uh, he's doing some. He's crunching some numbers. Out, no, out of the I'm rough. just. I'm yeah. just. I'm say it again. Give me 70%. the question again. All right, twenty yards in the rough. Yeah, ten yards of at least ten yards of green to work with. PGA typical PGA Tour player. What percentage of their shots will finish more than eight feet from the hole? Oh, so a, you're 20 yards away you're saying they're yeah. 20 yards away 20 exactly 20 yards from the hole at least 10 yards and they've of got green plenty of green with. from plenty the rough from the rough what did greg say 70 i think it's at 70%. least 70 so there's 70 percent outside of this of yeah the number. yeah only i was going to say only... 70 or 80 percent yeah it's it's 50 it's 50 so 50. But it's it's so it's so interesting that you said 70 if we had a panel of 15 handicaps here they would say uh, you know two percent like you you guys hit it right. to three feet all yeah, day yeah. from there right and right. and you you never miss you hit it in you tap in and you walk to the next hole um and so it's it's uh I, that would be a really fun exercise to do with a panel of 50 pga tour players ask them that question and see what answers yeah. you get and then do that with a panel of 15 handicaps and see what answer you get. And I, and I would imagine it's going to be wildly different between groups. Well, the general pattern with amateurs, so just, so just to put it out there for everyone listening, obviously it was 16 feet, the average distance, not 16 yards from 10 to 20 yards. It was 16, 16 feet, oh, so five, <laughs> yeah, five yards. Sorry, no, that math didn't work. <laughs> I was getting my feet and yards all a little mixed up. It's 16 feet is the average, which is still five yards. They're 10 to 20 yards away and they're averaging. That's average, so that's good, as in that's their better one. Yeah. Um What's it? Uh, what's um, with the um, so if you look at the average distances with amateurs, so I've got the average distances, they never guess correctly when I do it with students on the course. So you're this distance away, what do you reckon is average? They are always saying one or two paces as a general rule, where they're one or two paces. I mean, you've got to be inside 10 yards and a scratch handicap, but to be getting one or two paces away. It's amazing. Like, I've done it with my parents, I do it with students, and they just I don't think I've met one who guesses. They're always thinking they should be way closer than they actually should be. It's it, it, yeah. it just manage your expectations, right? Yeah, manage absolutely. your expectations. I remember one time. Let's finish on, Go on, I, so go on, dude. Yeah, I got to tell you, one time on a broadcast, um, and, and I'm not picking on the broadcaster, but and I won't even say I don't even remember who it was. 
but um, somebody had a uh, hundred ish yards and they said from, uh, and I'm going to butcher this. I tweeted this out, but it, it was uh, from, a, from hundred yards. They're going to hit 70% inside of eight feet. Let's just say eight feet was the number. And I heard that and went, that's not even remotely close. And I, and I went and I looked and uh, in order to hit 70% inside of eight feet, let's say that was the number they had to be, you know, like 14 yards from, from the hole in the fairway. Um, it was, it was ridiculously close. Um, and that's one place that it's, it's so interesting that the tour pro instantly said inside of eight feet from 20 yards with a bunch of green to work with, that's a pretty good shot. Um, and most yeah. amateurs would think you've hit a poor shot if you hit it to seven feet. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So let's finish on a bit of putting, Lou. Where should people practice or spend their time with the stats that you've seen with their putting? Definite gains to be had in putting. And I do think this message gets lost a little bit with the idea of distance. And it's something that we've talked about a lot. People like distance is a massive factor into helping people improve their scores. And it plays through from every handicap level. I see it when I do. I look at the stats for breaking 100, breaking 90, breaking 80 and breaking 70. Distance is an average that is just follows suit, but that doesn't take away from the gains that can be had in putting and short game. Like we're talking today. Um, where should people be focusing their attention on putting in your opinion, Lou, when it comes to lowering these players scores? It's a good point on distance. Everyone's so focused on distance and, and it's obviously incredibly important, but for a lot of players, there's, there's still uh, low hanging fruit with putting and you know, Greg, um, he, you know, he, he fed himself with his putting. Um, yeah. and I mean, he was obviously good in all parts of the game, but he's third best putter in shot link history. Um, no, and so you can, you can go <laughs> a long way when you, when you can put the ball really well. Um, and I'll just give you some PGA tour stats, uh, on the PGA tour, uh, the best putters, um, are about nine tenths of a stroke better than the worst putters. And, and I'm, I'm looking at like the top 20 putters versus players and, you know, ranked 150 ish in, in putting and about six tenths of that nine tenths. So two thirds of that are putts between three and inside of 12 feet. Um, it's a huge area to, to work That's on your it, game. Yeah. Uh, and then once you get outside of that, uh, then it's, you know, lag putting, there's sort of that, that purgatory and, and for amateur players, it's, you know, for Greg, it's probably 12 or 13 feet out to, you know, to 20 feet ish, 21 feet ish, where you're not going to make too many of those, but you're going to make enough of them. Uh, and once you get outside of 20 ish feet for somebody like Greg or, you know, mid twenties, maybe you just want you don't want a three putt. Um, if they yeah. drop, it's great. It's a bonus. You just don't want a three putt and amateurs. We just need to move that closer for amateurs. So, you know, amateurs need to really work on things uh, and try to hold as many putts as they can from inside 10 feet, you know, 10 to 17 feet ish for amateurs. And I know that's a broad term. Um, yeah, just try to make a few, but don't three putt. And then once you get, get outside of 17, 18, 19, 20 feet, depending on your skill level, it's, we need the two putt and that's all going to be driven by, by speed control. And it's interesting on the PGA tour, most players, you know, speed control is, there's not massive differences in speed control. Um, when you look at the numbers across PGA tour players and Greg is somebody that was out there every day with, 
a number of different players. Did you notice some player? And I'm not going to ask you to put anyone on the uh, name, anyone, but did you notice some players that, that were horrible with speed control or was everyone eh, in similar? I'm curious what your thoughts are there. Um, it, they were outliers if they were. Yes, that did happen where you'd see guys, you know, um, who might have a tendency. One, the one that comes to mind, he probably, probably doesn't mind me mentioning he's a buddy in mine is Michael Campbell um, oh, at his yeah. peak. He hit putts very firmly. I don't know if it was a speed control issue more than he just enjoyed hitting them firmly. So that's what he did. He was very aggressive. Um, but yeah, week in, week out, the vast percentage, the vast majority, are very, very good speed control. Um, it doesn't take lot guys long to adjust. Um, look, I could talk about putting all day. I love it. I'm very passionate about it. I think there's some things technically amateurs could do that would be easy drills, you know, putting with your eyes closed, filling the flow of the putter would be nice. Yeah. Feel that nice, easy transition in the ball. Um, maybe a little stability in the lower half. I, I kind of enjoy that. Not, not too much movement, particularly on 10 feet and in. Um, I'm a more of an advocate of that and just get the upper half controlling everything. Um, I find that easier, um, even though, and you see Tiger and guys like that doing things like that. Um, and then take some time to, when you're reading your putts, to look big picture first, look macro first, look around your environment and what side's high, what side's low, and, you know, look big first, and then you get to your ball, you can get an, an idea based on, and there's plenty of different methods you can use. You can use a clock method where you go to, you know, people have, I'm not the first person to think of this, but people, you know, find the uphill part and the downhill part on either side of the hole that goes straight and then move around the clock, um, and you'll, they'll going right if you go one direction and left if you go on the other. Um, you know, you do all that while someone else is goofing around hitting their shot. And before you know it, you've got a pretty good idea of where your ball's going to go. Um, but yeah, there's, it's, um, and then be kind to yourself. You know, if you roll a few over the edge from 10 feet, well, Lou, I think you'd know. I think the best in the world from 10 feet is what, six out of 10. Um, average of PJ Tour is about four, I think, 42% or something. And you're on yeah, the PJ right. Tour if you hold two of them, two and a half. Yeah. Um, so be, be kind. I, I kind of fall into the category of I was always very good at telling myself, hey, they're rolling over the edge. They're going to go in soon. Um, and if not today, tomorrow. So yeah. that's the kind of thing that I worked on. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun part of the game. I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, we need to, yeah. I, I need to bring this up again just because it's such a fascinating topic. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but we had a pod a while ago with Dr. Sasha McKenzie, and he has this video on heads up putting. And um, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, on that. He's done a, a number of studies around this with amateur players, and he saw about 80% of the people that came through and put a little effort into practicing their heads up putting and then implemented it improved. And I asked for volunteers to try heads up putting. And I sent Sasho the, the results a while ago, but I've had a number of people reach out to me with their strokes gain per round info, uh, making the switch to heads up putting. And, and all I did was practice it for a little bit, do one practice round with heads up putting and then play 10 rounds heads up putting. And they sent me their numbers. And my numbers aligned very close to what, what uh, Sasha's were, were about 80% improved and they, they had a pretty big uptick. I don't know. I know you're a putting guru. Uh, is that anything you, you know, you would ever consider for amateur players or do you have any thoughts? Lou, is that, heads up is heads up putting? They're looking, I don't know. Is it, they looking yeah, at the target? They're looking at the target. Yeah. yeah the perfect. So that's, that's the same feedback you get as all this, all it does is it takes out the anticipation of the strike. All right. So you get people who, and the putter moves better. 
think about it, transferring energy to a ball, you want that thing to flow as consistently as possible. So you want to heighten environments where you can do that. And closing your eyes, looking at the target, not at the ball. Um, people also that I've noticed too, they think slower is better and smoother. Reality is you, you can have a Brant Snedeker technique. It's just super consistent and, it, and it's a pop technique, but, and it's, quick to, it's a quick motion, but that's very consistent. And he does it time after time after time. To me, that's more important than um, I'm technically awesome or you know, just get that rhythm of the putter going in the same all the time. And so you can start to really control your distance. But yeah, heads up putting makes sense. I've done that. And you saw um, uh, Spieth did that for a while. You know, He's looking at the yeah, whole volley putt for yeah. a little while. Yeah. It just takes out that anticipation of the strike. Um, and it's really, it's really important that you, you can do, I'd say goof around a little bit too with, I was uh, watching Faxon putt. He's a buddy of mine. We're in LA and I'll never forget this. He's putting. And I said, what are you doing? And he's literally just walking in, not lining it up, not spending any time over the ball water at, at all. He's just walking in, hitting putts, right? And he's just look at the target and go and react to the target. And you might push some, you might pull some, you might actually find that guy roll better and they go in. He said, I'm practicing not caring, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I try and spend as little time as I can actually over the ball. And so I use my look at the target as a trigger. I roll my eyes up. And by the time they get back to the ball, I'm already just about in motion. Wow. Right. So I'm not over the ball thinking too much. Now, if you don't like that, that's fine. But it's okay to train like that and then go back to your thinky mode later. I really think guys got to get out of their way a little bit better and just react to the target. Look at the whole putt then. If you want to do the look, you know, look in, you know, head up motion or what did you, what, sorry, what was it called again, Lou? Heads up. Heads up. Heads up putting. Yeah. If you want to do that, great. At the very least, it's going to be an awesome drill. At the very least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Are, are you, interesting. Um, did you Go change on, putters as much as you change drivers? Or, or did you stick no, with one putter? All no, the time? I, I pretty much use the same one um, that I found about 20 years ago. So I might go for a week or two just to teach it a lesson here or there. But basically, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's stick, sticks in the bag. And so uh, when you, uh, both of you, you're both teachers. So when a student comes to you for a putting lesson, do you see a lot of students that, you know, they, they pull their putter out of the bag, they set up to the ball and you look at them and, and you realize you bought this putter off the rack, you need to be fitted for something. Um, is, is that something that you, you see? I, I absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I, I yeah, I, I'd say, here's what I would say to that. Um, what I try and do is if you find something you, you roll well, try and stick in that family. So if it's a blade putter that hangs toe down, learn what face balance is, learn what 30 degrees of toe drop is, and if it's a high OMI putter, high MOI putter, whatever works for you, try and stick in that family a little bit for a little while to see that that actually, because I don't like, say, a certain, a couple of, I don't like face balance for me. I have to have 30 degrees of toe drop and high and a, and a bit of weight at the back of it to make it high MOI. But just find what works for you and try and stick to that before you jump into somewhere else. I've got less problem with changing putters than I do with jumping into something that's vastly different from what we just putted really well with. So that's yeah. my take. One of the, I did a few tests with very different putter shapes. So going from your standard, which we can call like a ping answer shape, you know, that kind of generic putter shape, uh, a bladed putter, you know, like the old Greg Norman blade, Wilson blade idea, and then to like the biggest two ball with loads of liners on that I can find. And I did a test with a series of golfers and there was a general trend that the 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 less skilled putters absolutely could aim the one with big lines on and the one that just sat pretty neutral 
so much better than the blade that had no line up for them and would flop when it sits down and noticeably better even than the answer that had a little bit of movement when you set it down and you had to position it would had a tiny line on it where if you gave it to more skilled golfers it was almost impossible to see a difference in their aiming ability so i mean aim where they point that blade before they start their stroke not delivery Delivery was a bit more messy because obviously the humans involved, but there was patterns where delivery was better with what you would expect, the bigger one with lines compared to the blade, but it wasn't as, as clear as the lining up ability with a bigger blade. So again, it, like, it was a generalized pattern from worse golfers to better, but it was one that I, I definitely follow in my, in my coaching. If someone comes to me with a certain putter and they're struggling, I'll definitely play with shapes and lines I use Sam Balance Lab and we'll, or Sam uh, Putt Lab, sorry, and we'll measure how I can measure their aim and their delivery and quantify which one they're delivering better or worse, basically. And it, it basically the general rule was just get bigger and get lines on it. Like if I had to throw a net and catch as many people than help them, I would give them big putters with loads of lines on and I would help more people than I would hurt with that generalized statement, which I thought was quite interesting. I forget where I read it from, but um, it, it was club fitting um putting is the thing that most people forget about and, and they don't bother to go through that and get something that is going to work for them so um good uh, good tip there in my opinion um 100 yeah we have yeah. to we'd be neglectful if we didn't ask um greg if you get to pick one putting drill uh and this is maybe not for you this is for amateurs one putting drill what are you having people uh do what, what does that look like Mm, I probably already touched on it. It'd be put with your eyes closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be the one I'd pick. So um, good the, for distance control as well. Do you vary yeah. the distance with that, or oh, uh, do whatever you want? Yeah, yeah. You want. experiment, move around. Yeah, and you'll notice you'll, you'll you'll notice how your body moves. You'll notice how much movement you have in the lower half. Um, if you want that, that's fine. Um, but you'll get a heightened sense of how the putting's how the putter's moving. And uh, if you've got a hit to your stroke, kind of a yippy hit, you'll feel it. Um, yeah, it's a great way. I spend probably every day before I play a tournament, I check my eye line in a mirror, might only be 10 putts, and I hit at least 10 to 20 putts with my eyes closed, just filling the flow of the putter. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just good practice. Does yeah, that I eyes like closed it. technique, will it work with my driver? Uh, i wish you all the best for that <laughs> it's funny you say that there was a european tour pro that i talked to god knows how many years ago now just before pandemic he spent a whole season on the european tour hitting his drives with his eyes closed how is that how is yeah. that possible he I'm got not. so bad he said with his driver he's a portugal player i can't remember his name now portugal player um, he said he got so bad and anxious with his tee shots that he hit, he played a whole season with his eyes closed. I oh said, boy. how did that work out for you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he, I lost my card. Basically, <laughs> I think the fact that you can't remember his name is probably telling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when he told, he's back on tour now and he's got oh, his, okay, his eyes are Good luck to him. But <laughs> he played a whole season with his eyes closed in his jacket. When he told me that, I thought he was joking. I was sat next to him at lunch and I was like giggling and I had to like stop him and say, you're serious, aren't you? He's like, yeah, I promise you. <laughs> I had I told the people I was playing with that my eyes were closed. So if they could just watch, because I hit it and obviously I open them to see where it is, but you lose a bit of the first bit of the flight. 
It was such a funny story. Eyes eyes closed for everything, Lou. Oh yeah, eyes closed for everything. That'd be great. I don't know that I could make contact if I closed my eyes. I'd be I'd be afraid to swing the club with my eyes closed for sure. It's fun. Yeah, I've done some tests, right? So I tested just we'll end this pod in one second, but I tested um bladed v bladed irons v cavity backed irons. Okay. But I wanted to know if feel was sound. So people say blades feel soft and lovely and cavity backs feel hard and springy. So I had headphones with music blaring. There's a video on YouTube of me doing it. I did it years ago. Headphones blaring music and I had a blindfold on. And I had a James Wiltshire who's got his own YouTube channel now. He was, he was working at the range I was at. Um, he would put the club by the ball for me. And then he would walk away and tap me on the shoulder. So I knew he was gone because I couldn't sat hear or see anything hitting seven irons. And you hit a, like the first one or two, you're a bit scabby, but you start when you start finding it, you start trusting it. But basically the moral story is, so you can hit it, Lou. You just had to trust it. The first few were a bit funny. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, hit my eyes open. I'm not going to close. No them, difference. Man. It's all sound. Don't you think that's interesting? All yeah, I sound. think that Scotty Cameron does that, I think, when you go to his putting studio. Like, uh, that one feels softer, and then they put headphones yeah. on. You can't hear the contact. It's yeah. actually the sound. It's not the feel. Yeah, Totally. True. Totally. There you go. Let's just start closing our eyes, everyone. There's the, there's the, there's, there's the answer. Yep. Eyes closed and just get someone else to tell you it's gone in all the time. Play with someone you love and they love you and they'll just go, yeah, that's gone in and they'll go and pick it up. You won't know. Brilliant. There you go. Another, <laughs> Good plan. Another birdie. <laughs> there we go. Some short game hacks for everybody there. I hope that's helped. Um, thanks for your words of wisdom as always, Greg and Lou. Thank you for your stats. Um, let us know how we're doing in those comments down below and leave those stars as always thanks for listening and we will look forward to seeing you in the next podcast